Part One of the Biography of a Grizzly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenever. The Biography of a Grizzly by Ernest Thompson Seton. Part One. THE CUBHOOD OF WAHAB He was born over a score of years ago, away up in the wildest part of the Wild West, on the head of the Little Piney, above where the Paulette Ranch is now. His mother was just an ordinary silvertip, living the quiet life that all bears prefer, minding her own business and doing her duty by her family, asking no favors of anyone excepting to let her alone. It was July before she took her remarkable family down the little piney to the gray bowl and showed them what strawberries were and where to find them. Notwithstanding their mother's deep conviction, the cubs were not remarkably big or bright, yet they were a remarkable family, for there were four of them, and it is not often a grizzly mother can boast of more than two. The woolly-coated little creatures were having a fine time, and reveled in the lovely mountain summer and the abundance of good things. Their mother turned over each log and flat stone they came to, and the moment it was lifted they all rushed under it like a lot of little pigs to lick up the ants and grubs there hidden. It never once occurred to them that Mammy's strength might fail sometime, and let the great rock drop just as they got under it, nor would any one have thought so that might have chanced to see that huge arm and that shoulder sliding about under the great yellow robe she wore. No, no, that arm could never fail. The little ones were quite right. So they hustled and tumbled one another at each fresh log in their haste to be first, and squealed little squeals and growled little growls, as if each was a pig, a pup, and a kitten, all rolled into one. They were well acquainted with the common little brown ants that harbor under logs in the uplands, but now they came for the first time on one of the hills of the great, fat, luscious wood ant, and they all crowded around to lick up those that ran out. But they soon found that they were licking up more cactus prickles and sand than ants, till their mother said in grizzly, Let me show you how. She knocked off the top of the hill, then laid her great paw flat on it for a few moments, and as the angry ants swarmed onto it, she licked them up with one lick, and got a good rich mouthful to crunch without a grain of sand or a cactus stinger in it. The cubs soon learned. Each put both his little brown paws, so that there was a ring of paws all around the ant hill, and there they sat, like children playing hands, and each licked first the right and then the left paw, or one cuffed his brother's ears for licking a paw that was not his own, till the ant hill was cleared out and they were ready for a change. Ants are sour food and made the bears thirsty. So the old one led down to the river. After they had drunk as much as they wanted, and dabbled their feet, they walked down the bank to a pool, where the old one's keen eye caught sight of a number of buffalo-fish basking on the bottom. 
The water was very low, mere pebbly rapids between these deep holes. So Mammy said to the little ones, Now you all sit there on the bank and learn something new. First she went to the lower end of the pool and stirred up a cloud of mud which hung in the still water and sent the long tail floating like a curtain over the rapids just below. Then she went quietly round by land and sprang into the upper end of the pool with all the noise she could. The fish had crowded to that end, but this sudden attack sent them off in a panic, and they dashed blindly into the mud-cloud. Out of fifty fish there was always a good chance of some being fools, and half a dozen of these dashed through the darkened water into the current, and before they knew it they were struggling over the shingly shallow. The old grizzly jerked them out to the bank, and the little ones rushed noisily on these funny short snakes that could not get away, and gobbled and gorged till their little bellies looked like balloons. They had eaten so much now, and the sun was so hot, that all were quite sleepy. So the mother bear led them to a quiet little nook, and as soon as she lay down, though they were puffing with heat, they all snuggled around her and went to sleep with their little brown paws curled in, and their little black noses tucked into their wool as though it were a very cold day. After an hour or two they began to yawn and stretch themselves, except little Fuzz, the smallest. She poked out her sharp nose for a moment, then snuggled back between her mother's great arms, for she was a gentle, petted little thing. The largest, the one afterward known as Wahab, sprawled over on his back and began to worry a root that stuck up, grumbling to himself as he chewed it, or slapped it with his paw for not staying where he wanted it. Presently Mooney, the mischief, began tugging at Frizzle's ears, and got his own well boxed. They clenched for a tussle, then, locked in a tight little grizzly yellow ball, they sprawled over and over on the grass and before they knew it, down a bank and away out of sight toward the river. Almost immediately there was an outcry of yells for help from the little wrestlers. There could be no mistaking the real terror in their voices. Some dreadful danger was threatening. Up jumped the gentle mother, changed into a perfect demon and over the bank in time to see a huge range-bull make a deadly charge at what he doubtless took for a yellow dog. In a moment all would have been over with Frizzle, for he had missed his footing on the bank. But there was a thumping of heavy feet, a roar that startled even the great bull, and, like a huge bounding ball of yellow fur, Mother Grizzly was upon him. Him! the monarch of the herd, the master of all these plains, what had he to fear? He bellowed his deep war-cry, and charged to pin the old one to the bank. But as he bent to tear her with his shiny horns, she dealt him a stunning blow, and before he could recover she was on his shoulders, raking the flesh from his ribs with sweep after sweep of her terrific claws. The bull roared with rage and plunged and reared, dragging Mother Grizzly with him. Then, as he hurtled heavily off the slope, 
she let go to save herself, and the bull rolled down into the river. This was a lucky thing for him, for the grizzly did not want to follow him there. So he waded out on the other side, and, bellowing with fury and pain, slunk off to join the herd to which he belonged. Old Colonel Pickett, the cattle king, was out riding the range. The night before he had seen the new moon descending over the white cone of Pickett's Peak. "'I saw the last moon over Frank's Peak,' said he, "'and the luck was against me for a month. Now I reckon it's my turn.' Next morning his luck began. A letter came from Washington, granting his request that a post office be established at his ranch, and contained the polite inquiry, What name do you suggest for the new post office? The colonel took down his new rifle, a forty-five ninety repeater. May as well, he said. This is my month. And he rode up the gray bull to see how the cattle were doing. As he passed under the Rimrock Mountain, he heard a faraway roaring as of bulls fighting, but thought nothing of it till he rounded the point and saw on the flat below a lot of his cattle pawing the dust and bellowing as they always do when they smell the blood of one of their number. He soon saw that the great bull, the boss of the bunch, was covered with blood. His back and sides were torn as by a mountain lion and his head was battered as by another bull. "'Grizzly!' growled the colonel, for he knew the mountains. He quickly noted the general direction of the bull's back trail, then rode toward a high bank that offered a view. This was across the gravelly ford of the gray bull, near the mouth of the piney. His horse splashed through the cold water, and began jerkily to climb the other bank. As soon as the rider's head rose above the bank, his hand grabbed the rifle, for there in full sight were five grizzly bears, an old one and four cubs. "'Run for the woods!' growled the mother grizzly, for she knew that men carried guns. Not that she feared for herself, but the idea of such things among her darlings was too horrible to think of. She set off to guide them to the timber tangle on the lower piney, but an awful murderous fusillade began. Bang! And Mother Grizzly felt a deadly pang. Bang! And poor little Fuzz rolled over with a scream of pain and lay still. With a roar of hate and fury, Mother Grizzly turned to attack the enemy. Bang! And she fell paralyzed and dying with a high shoulder shot, and the three little cubs not knowing what to do, ran back to their mother. Bang! Bang! And Mooney and Frizzle sank in dying agonies beside her, and Wahab, terrified and stupefied, ran in a circle about them. Then, hardly knowing why, he turned and dashed into the timber tangle, and disappeared as a last bang left him with a stinging pain and a useless broken hind paw. That is why the post office was called Four Bears. The colonel seemed pleased with what he had done. Indeed, he told of it himself. But away up in the woods of Anderson's Peak that night, a little lame grizzly might have been seen, wandering, limping along, 
leaving a bloody spot each time he tried to set down his hind paw, whining and whimpering, Mother, mother, oh, mother, where are you? For he was cold and hungry, and had such a pain in his foot. But there was no mother to come to him, and he dared not go back where he had left her, so he wandered aimlessly about among the pines. Then he smelled some strange animal smell, and heard heavy footsteps, and not knowing what else to do he climbed a tree. Presently a band of great, long-necked, slim-legged animals, taller than his mother, came by under the tree. He had seen such once before, and had not been afraid of them then, because he had been with his mother, but now he kept very quiet in the tree, and the big creatures stopped picking the grass when they were near him, and blowing their noses, ran out of sight. He stayed in the tree till near morning, and then he was so stiff with cold that he could scarcely get down. But the warm sun came up, and he felt better as he sought about for berries and ants, for he was very hungry. Then he went back to the piney and put his wounded foot in the ice-cold water. He wanted to get back to the mountains again, but still he felt he must go to where he had left his mother and brothers. When the afternoon grew warm, he went limping down the stream through the timber and down on the banks of the Graybull till he came to the place where yesterday they had had the fish feast, and he eagerly crunched the heads and remains that he found. But there was an odd and horrid smell on the wind. It frightened him, and as he went down to where he had last seen his mother, the smell grew worse. He peeped out cautiously at the place, and saw there a lot of coyotes tearing at something. What it was he did not know, but he saw no mother, and the smell that sickened and terrified him was worse than ever, so he quietly turned back toward the timber tangle of the lower piney, and never more came back to look for his lost family. He wanted his mother as much as ever, but something told him it was no use. As cold night came down, he missed her more and more again, and he whimpered as he limped along, a miserable, lonely little motherless bear, not lost in the mountains, for he had no home to seek but so sick and lonely, and with such a pain in his foot and in his stomach a craving for the drink that would never more be his. That night he found a hollow log, and crawling in, he tried to dream that his mother's great furry arms were around him, and he snuffled himself to sleep. Wahab had always been a gloomy little bear and the string of misfortunes that came on him just as his mind was forming made him more than ever sullen and morose. It seemed as though every one were against him. He tried to keep out of sight in the upper woods of the piney, seeking his food by day and resting at night in the hollow log, but one evening he found it occupied by a porcupine as big as himself and as bad as a cactus-bush. Wahab could do nothing with him. He had to give up the log and seek another nest. One day he went down on the Graybull flat to dig some roots that his mother had taught him were good, 
But before he had well begun, a grayish-looking animal came out of a hole in the ground and rushed at him hissing and growling. Wahab did not know it was a badger, but he saw it was a fierce animal as big as himself. He was sick and lame, too, so he limped away and never stopped till he was on a ridge in the next canyon. Here a coyote saw him and came bounding after him, calling at the same time to another to come and join the fun. Wahab was near a tree, so he scrambled up to the branches. The coyotes came bounding and yelping below, but their noses told them that this was a young grizzly they had chased, and they soon decided that a young grizzly in a tree means a mother grizzly not far away, and they had better let him alone. After they had sneaked off, Wahab came down and returned to the piney. There was better feeding on the gray bull, but everyone seemed against him there now that his loving guardian was gone, while on the piney he had peace at least sometimes, and there were plenty of trees that he could climb when an enemy came. His broken foot was a long time in healing. Indeed, it never got quite well. The wound healed, and the soreness wore off, but it left a stiffness that gave him a slight limp, and the sole-balls grew together quite unlike those of the other foot. It particularly annoyed him when he had to climb a tree or run fast from his enemies, and of them he found no end, though never once did a friend cross his path. When he lost his mother, he lost his best and only friend. She would have taught him much that he had to learn by bitter experience, and would have saved him from most of the ills that befell him in his cubhood, ills so many and so dire that, but for his native sturdiness, he never could have passed through alive. The pinions bore plentiful that year, and the winds began to shower down the rich, ripe nuts. Life was becoming a little easier for Wahab. He was gaining in health and strength, and the creatures he daily met now let him alone. But as he feasted on the pinions one morning after a gale, a great black bear came marching down the hill. No one meets a friend in the woods was a byword that Wahab had learned already. He swung up the nearest tree. At first the black bear was scared, for he smelled the smell of grizzly, but when he saw it was only a cub. He took courage and came growling at Wahab. He could climb as well as the little grizzly, or better, and high as Wahab went, the black bear followed, and when Wahab got out on the smallest and highest twig that would carry him, the black bear cruelly shook him off, so that he was thrown to the ground, bruised and shaken and half-stunned. He limped away, moaning, and the only thing that kept the black bear from following him up, and perhaps killing him, was the fear that the old grizzly might be about. So Wahab was driven away down the creek from all the good pinon woods. There was not so much food on the gray bull now. The berries were nearly all gone. There were no fish or ants to get, and Wahab, hurt, lonely, and miserable, wandered on and on till he was away down toward the Matitsi. A coyote came bounding and barking through the sagebrush after him. Wahab tried to run, but it was no use. 
the coyote was soon up with him. Then, with a sudden rush of desperate courage, Wahab turned and charged his foe. The astonished coyote gave a scared yelp or two, and fled with his tail between his legs. Thus Wahab learned that war is the price of peace. But the forage was poor here. There were too many cattle, and Wahab was making for a far-away pinyon woods in the Matitsi Canyon when he saw a man just like the one he had seen on that day of sorrow. At the same moment he heard a bang, and some sagebrush rattled and fell just over his back. All the dreadful smells and dangers of that day came back to his memory, and Wahab ran as he never had run before. He soon got into a gully and followed it into the canyon. An opening between two cliffs seemed to offer shelter, but as he ran toward it, a range cow came trotting between, shaking her head at him and snorting threats against his life. He leaped aside upon a long log that led up a bank, but at once a savage bobcat appeared on the other end and warned him to go back. It was no time to quarrel. Bitterly Wahab felt that the world was full of enemies, but he turned and scrambled up a rocky bank into the pinyon woods that bordered the benches of the Matitsi. The pine squirrels seemed to resent his coming and barked furiously. They were thinking about their pinion nuts. They knew that this bear was coming to steal their provisions, and they followed him overhead to scold and abuse him with such an outcry that an enemy might have followed him by their noise, which was exactly what they intended. There was no one following, but it made Wahab uneasy and nervous, so he kept on till he reached the timberline where both food and foes were scarce, and here, on the edge of the mountain sheep land, at last he got a chance to rest. Wahab never was sweet-tempered like his baby sister, and the persecutions by his numerous foes were making him more and more sour. Why could they not let him alone in his misery? Why was everyone against him? If only he had his mother back! If he could only have killed that black bear that had driven him from his woods. It did not occur to him that some day he himself would be big. And that spiteful bobcat that took advantage of him, and the man that had tried to kill him, he did not forget any of them, and he hated them all. Wahab found his new range fairly good, because it was a good nut here. He learned just what the squirrels feared he would, for his nose directed him to the little granaries where they had stored up great quantities of nuts for winter's use. It was hard on the squirrels, but it was good luck for Wahab, for the nuts were delicious food, and when the days shortened and the nights began to be frosty, he had grown fat and well-favored. He traveled over all parts of the canyon now, living mostly in the higher woods, but coming down at times to forage almost as far as the river. One night, as he wandered by the deep water, a peculiar smell reached his nose. It was quite pleasant, so he followed it up to the water's edge. It seemed to come from a sunken log. As he reached over toward this, 
There was a sudden clank, and one of his paws was caught in a strong steel beaver trap. Wahab yelled and jerked back with all his strength and tore up the stake that held the trap. He tried to shake it off, then ran away through the bushes trailing it. He tore at it with his teeth, but there it hung, quiet, cold, strong, and immovable. Every little while he tore at it with his teeth and claws or beat it against the ground. He buried it in the earth, then climbed up a low tree hoping to leave it behind, but still it clung biting into his flesh. He made for his own woods and sat down to try to puzzle it out. He did not know what it was, but his little green-brown eyes glared with a mixture of pain, fright, and fury as he tried to understand his new enemy. He lay down under the bushes, and, intent on deliberately crushing the thing, he held it down with one paw while he tightened his teeth on the other end, and, bearing down as it slid away, the trap-jaws opened and the foot was free. It was mere chance, of course, that led him to squeeze both springs at once. He did not understand it, but he did not forget it, and he got these not very clear ideas. There is a dreadful little enemy that hides by the water and waits for one. It has an odd smell. It bites one's paws and is too hard for one to bite. But it can be got off by hard squeezing. For a week or more, the little grizzly had another sore paw. But it was not very bad if he did not do any climbing. It was now the season when the elk were bugling on the mountains. Wahab heard them all night, and once or twice had to climb to get away from one of the big antlered bulls. It was also the season when the trappers were coming into the mountains, and the wild geese were honking overhead. There were several quite new smells in the woods, too. Wahab followed one of these up, and it led to a place where there were some small logs piled together. Then, mixed with the smell that had drawn him, was one that he hated. He remembered it from the time when he had lost his mother. He sniffed about carefully, for it was not very strong, and learned that this hateful smell was on a log in front, and the sweet smell that made his mouth water was under some brush behind. So he went around, pulled away the brush till he got the prize, a piece of meat, and as he grabbed it, the log in front went down with a heavy chunk. It made Wahab jump, but he got away all right with the meat and some new ideas, and with one old idea made stronger, and that was, when that hateful smell is around, it always means trouble. As the weather grew colder, Wahab became very sleepy. He slept all day when it was frosty. He had not any fixed place to sleep in. He knew a number of dry ledges for sunny weather, and one or two sheltered nooks for stormy days. He had a very comfortable nest under a root, and one day, as it began to blow and snow, he crawled into this and curled up to sleep. The storm howled without. The snow fell deeper and deeper. It draped the pine trees till they bowed, then shook themselves free to be draped anew. It drifted over the mountains and poured down the funnel-like ravines, blowing off the peaks and ridges and filling up the hollows level with their rims. 
It piled up over Wahab's den, shutting out the cold of the winter, shutting out itself. And Wahab slept and slept. He slept all winter without waking, for such is the way of bears. And yet when spring came and roused him, he knew that he had been asleep a long time. He was not much changed. He had grown in height, and yet was but little thinner. He was now very hungry, and forcing his way through the deep drift that still lay over his den, he set out to look for food. There were no piñon nuts to get and no berries or ants, but Wahab's nose led him away up the canyon to the body of a winter-killed elk, where he had a fine feast, and then buried the rest for future use. Day after day he came back till he had finished it. Food was very scarce for a couple of months, and after the elk was eaten Wahab lost all the fat he had when he awoke. One day he climbed over the divide into the Warhouse Valley. It was warm and sunny there, vegetation was well advanced, and he found good forage. He wandered down toward the thick timber and soon smelled the smell of another grizzly. This grew stronger, and led him to a single tree by a bear trail. Wahab reared up on his hind feet to smell this tree. It was strong of bear, and was plastered with mud and grizzly hair far higher than he could reach. And Wahab knew it must have been a very large bear that had rubbed himself there. He felt uneasy. He used to long to meet one of his own kind, yet now that there was a chance of it, he was filled with dread. No one had shown him anything but hatred in his lonely, unprotected life, and he could not tell what this older bear might do. As he stood in doubt, he caught sight of the old grizzly himself, slouching along a hillside, stopping from time to time to dig up the quamash roots and wild turnips. He was a monster. Wahab instinctively distrusted him, and sneaked away through the woods and up a rocky bluff where he could watch. Then the big fellow came on Wahab's track, and rumbled a deep growl of anger. He followed the trail to the tree, and, rearing up, he tore the bark with his claws, far above where Wahab had reached. Then he strode rapidly along Wahab's trail, but the cub had seen enough. He fled back over the divide into the Matitsi Canyon, and realized, in his dim, bearish way, that he was at peace there, because the bear forage was so poor. As the summer came on, his coat was shed. His skin got very itchy, and he found pleasure in rolling in the mud and scraping his back against some convenient tree. He never climbed now. His claws were too long, and his arms, though growing big and strong, were losing that suppleness of wrist that makes cub grizzlies and all black bears great climbers. He now dropped naturally into the bear habit of seeing how high he could reach with his nose on the rubbing post whenever he was near one. He may not have noticed it, yet each time he came to a post, after a week or two away, he could reach higher, for Wahab was growing fast and coming into his strength. Sometimes he was at one end of the country that he felt was his, and sometimes at another. 
but he had frequent use of the rubbing tree, and thus it was that his range was mapped out by posts with his own mark on them. One day, late in summer, he sighted a stranger on his land, a glossy black bear, and he felt furious against the interloper. As the black bear came nearer, Wahab noticed the tan red face, the white spot on his breast, then the bit out of his ear, and last of all, the wind brought a whiff. There could be no further doubt it was the very smell. This was the black coward that had chased him down the piney long ago. But how he had shrunken! Before he had looked like a giant. Now Wahab felt he could crush him with one paw. Revenge is sweet, Wahab felt, though he did not exactly say it, and he went for that red-nosed bear. But the black one went up a small tree like a squirrel. Wahab tried to follow as the other once followed him, but somehow he could not. He did not seem to know how to take hold now, and after a while he gave it up and went away, although the black bear brought him back more than once by coughing in derision. Later on that day, when the grizzly passed again, the red-nosed one was gone. As the summer waned, the upper forage grounds began to give out, and Wahab ventured down to the lower Matitsi one night to explore. There was a pleasant odor on the breeze, and, following it up, Wahab came to the carcass of a steer. A good distance away from it were some tiny coyotes, mere dwarfs compared with those you remembered. Right by the carcass was another that jumped about in the moonlight in a foolish way. For some strange reason it seemed unable to get away. Wahab's old hatred broke out. He rushed up. In a flash the coyote bit him several times, before, with one blow of that great paw, Wahab smashed him into a limp furry rag, then broke in all his ribs with a crunch or two of his jaws. Oh, but it was good to feel the hot, bloody juices oozing between his teeth. The coyote was caught in a trap. Wahab hated the smell of the iron, so he went to the other side of the carcass, where it was not so strong, and had eaten but little before clank, and his foot was caught in a wolf trap that he had not seen. But he remembered that he had once before been caught and had escaped by squeezing the trap. He set a hind foot on each spring, and pressed till the trap opened and released his paw. About the carcass was the smell that he knew stood for man, so he left it and wandered downstream, but more and more often he got whiffs of that horrible odor, so he turned and went back to his quiet pinion benches. End of Part One